Father, we so graciously ask you this morning that you minister to our souls, God. Cause us to approach you this morning with an open heart, with an open mind. Father, with empty shelves, in a sense, in our heart, to receive your word, to receive our daily manna. But God, that it would not stay on those shelves where moths destroy, but would they, would they be engrafted into our being, into who we are, God. Give us understanding. How can we know about you, Father, if you would not allow this in our lives? God, if there's anyone that is not truly willing to want to learn, would you make it this morning the instant that you would cause them and give them the ability and the desire to want to learn that they would learn, Father? Father, give me resources to find the words to say in clarity, Father God, that I would not be an obstacle or a hindrance to the clarity of your scriptures, God, that it may become living and active as we know that it is, but they may we come to the awareness and the knowledge of that this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, of course, last week we saw that they had taken Jesus up for judgment. And there was a few questions that were asked and leads us to where we are at today. We've had a lot of thought, different thought-provoking messages, right? The power of choice and God gives us an ability to make up uh, decisions of, of what we're going to do in life and what we're not going to do. Yeah, we talked last week when religion begins to seek friendship, and this comes through complacency, through not really paying attention to the Word of God or adhering to it, and now you seek friendship with the world in the sense that I don't want to be hostile. I don't want to be hostile with the things of the world whether it is all these things that we're dealing with or, or certain other agendas. I don't want to be hostile, so we seek friendship. The religious mindset seeks friendship. I don't, I don't want to be hostile against them. And it leads us this morning to this uh, mindful place that we're going to talk about, this mindful place. So let me ask you a question I don't know if I'm the only one that it happens to, but have you ever been either leaving your house or maybe in the nighttime or you're leaving your business, your job, and you've got the key, it's up to you to lock up, and you lock it up, you take a few steps, maybe you make it to the car and then you think, did I, did I lock the door or not? And the conviction so much that you actually turn back around just to go double check. As a matter of fact, I've even drove off and I have to turn back around just to make sure. And sure enough, it was as I thought. Am I the only one? I, you guys have probably experienced that too. I think we all have good. And you can probably note that, that it's a lack of paying attention. We weren't really focused on the fact of locking the door because maybe I have to be somewhere. Or maybe I'm thinking about something else. you got so many things on your mind, so you don't pay attention to something that is so important that I really should be paying attention because let's just say that we didn't have the conviction, we drove off, the next day you show up and somebody just came in the door unwelcomed and plundered you for whatever you had. Well, this is the same thing when it comes to the Word of God. Last week I mentioned, right, the importance of taking our faith serious. Because if you don't, see, a lot of times we read the Bible or we read devotionals, and it's like the second we get up from that table or that sofa and we get our day um, started, we've already forgotten what the devotional is about. I mean, there is many who I've even asked after service or any, any preacher can ask many people after service, what, what did the message speak to you? What did it say? And it's like, um, I, I forgot. 
And the thing is, is that again, there's not a lack of, it's a lack of attention. They're not dialed in. They're not focused as to what it may be. Now, it happens to all of us from time to time. But what I'm trying to do is is relate it to the importance of, of the things of God. And I talked about the resistance that comes in the life and the heart of a believer when we hear it, right? We hear so many things and it just becomes like whatever. You know, like that check engine light in our cars. And when it comes on, we know there's something's wrong. I need to take it so that they can get it checked out. We're really convicted about it, but I have to do this. I have to take the kids to sports. I have to go do this. I have to run some errands for work. And then after a while, the light doesn't matter anymore. Matter of fact, there's some individuals who will put tape over that light. There's other individuals who will disconnect the battery and try to reset everything so that it's clear, but it's only going to come back after a matter of time. They build up a resistance to that message that's telling you there's a problem here. People build up a resistance to a lot of things. The gardener who uses the garden hole. When he first starts doing it, at the end of the day, his hands are going to have calluses on them. It's going to hurt going to bring about pain but the more that he does it there's a resistance and the hands no longer build up calluses they're they're no longer tender to that hole but now they can resist it and you can add so many other things in that blank person who consumes alcohol the frequent uh drinker can probably drink six ten twelve uh beverages before he actually starts feeling the effects of it, but the person who never drinks will probably drink half of one and he'll start to feel the effects. There's so many different areas you can put that in. Well, this is the Word of God because as I begin to observe and look out there at everything that's going on in Christianity, everything that's going on when you flip on the TV or the radio or you listen to different ministers or you see uh, particular Christians, there is a resistance there because there is so much distribution of the Word of God out there. I mean, it's in, a, it's in an abundance. There's third world countries who have to tear off a, a, a page of the Bible and they have to share it with one another and they weep for it. They cry tears because I actually have a page of the Bible, but yet we have a whole book of the Bible and it has a tendency to just sit there. And so we build up a resistance. We build up a resistance and that is because we just like to kind of maybe hear the good things and I'm with you there. I mean, who doesn't like to hear the good things? Wednesday we shared about us not liking to hear the truth. And I shared an example that I won't share again today, but it's, it's a funny example, right? But the thing is, we don't like it, but the truth comes from love. And this resistance, you see it because when the word of God is preached, there's no more heartfelt uh, conviction. People aren't cut to the heart anymore. Well, once in a while you may find it, but it's not the normal thing. When you go back to the book of Acts, when the power of the Holy Spirit fell, Peter was preaching. Didn't even have a microphone and there was thousands of men and he was preaching the gospel. This Jesus, this Jesus who you crucified, God made him Lord and King and you crucified him. You sent him there. It was because of you. He didn't even finish preaching his message when the men were cut to the heart, the Bible says, and they yelled out to Peter, what do I have to do to be saved? You've said enough. I'm convicted. I'm a wretch. I'm a sinner. I need this salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen anymore. Because the hearts have been hardened, they've been calloused, and when the Word of God hits it, now they've made a a mindful choice to say, "It it doesn't really matter. I'm listening to it, but it doesn't really matter. And that goes to the choice that we have to say, okay, God, I'm willing, and as at the end of last week's message, say, God, cause your Word to become a stake that would drive through my soul and cause me to fall on my knees in repentance, to cause me to draw closer to you. Can we pray that though? Because it is a challenge. Or is the callousness there? I mean, that, that, this, this is Christianity today. That's why ministries are big. 
Ministries are big and they're flourishing because they're compromising the Word of God. They're not causing uh, uh, your heart to become softened by the Spirit, but they're causing them to become calloused because they're lightly tossing out forth the Word of God. There is some good ministries out there, and they are huge. And I'm not going to make less of them. But to understand the importance of taking the Word of God serious. It's living, it's breathing, and it's active. It's no different than the human being sitting next to you. And we should respect it. We should honor it. We should revere it. Because that's what causes us to sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch like me. That's what causes us to sing, uh, praise the one who paid my debt, who raised this life up from the dead. But only an individual who's experienced that can sing it. Only the individual who's experienced it can weep in tears and say, yes, that is the truth. I don't even have to sing it, but my heart re, uh, recites it in my soul and I weep. Why? Because I know I was a wretch and I was dead in my trespasses. I was not happy in life. I wasn't happy, but I found the Lord. Is everything going my way? No, it's not, but I still have the joy of God. So there's a resistance because we don't take it serious, or many. But one thing that we do tend to take very serious in life are opportunities. Right? We all like opportunities. I like opportunities as well. Some people have an opportunity to play sports for the rest of their life. Some people have an opportunity to um, come together in one, in marriage with an individual of their choice. People have opportunities at opening up businesses. There's so many different opportunities to further your education. Everyone likes opportunities, especially opportunities of a lifetime, right? I received an opportunity of a lifetime and I just, I, I can't pass it up. And it's like something that we grab and we embrace. Now, knowing this about opportunities, we know that this, the cross, was a choice of Jesus. And it was his opportunity of a lifetime that he made for you and me. Because that's the greatest opportunity of a lifetime to know Jesus Christ and to know his salvation. Now for this lifetime to the individual that's just a, a, a mere mortal, a mere human being uh, without salvation, they're seeing it in their lifetime as they're living and breathing. But for the believer, we know that it's literally forever. Forever. Whether you're in heaven or you go to hell, it's forever. Why? Because they're both eternal destinations. And an opportunity, this is a, a moment, it's a chance, it's a, uh, we've been given a shot at something. And I'm going to take it, I'm going to take it on. Now, these opportunities, I would say, of a lifetime, they're nurtured in this mindful place. Every man or woman has opportunities, big or small, many or few to do for ourselves or to do for God, to do good or to do evil. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We've gone over this before. They call it the Hall of Faith. Now it starts out in, in uh, verse 1, it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. goes on in verse 2 and says that, For by this faith, the elders of the church received a good testimony. It says that by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Everything was made by this Word. So we start to see that faith is an opportunity. But this opportunity is not temporal. It is eternal. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. We see that by faith Abel offered. By faith. He had this opportunity to offer. And what did that do? 
It allowed him to become a witness that he was righteous by what he did. So our actions demonstrate our righteousness in the Lord. Verse 5 says that by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And this testified of the fact of what? That he pleased God. Verse 7 says that by faith Noah, what did this opportunity, this faith allow for Noah? Well, it caused him to move with godly fear and prepare an ark. Which in turn, what did that do? It saved his household and it condemned the world and became his heir of righteousness. Which is what? According to faith. This opportunity. By faith, Abraham what? Obeyed. And when he obeyed, he received the inheritance of the nations. And verse 11 says that by faith, Sarah, what did this opportunity do for her? It allowed her to receive strength. How did that come by? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. She took God at his word. She trusted in God. This is the essence of faith. I believe what he has to say. And we see the results of it. And we see what it demonstrates. In Hebrews 11 verse 13. It says that these all. Talking about the patriarchs. Abraham all the way down. They died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. It means that they were convinced. They believed it. They believed in the promise of heaven. They believed in everything that God told them. Even though it was so afar off, they couldn't reach, touch it, grab it. They couldn't hear it, but they understood it in their hearts. They embraced it and they confessed what? That they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I'm not from here. Again, this is a mindset. It's a conclusion that they came to. They made this decision. I'm, I'm not from here. Now, we reside in this country that we all love named America. But I do see many Christians that seem to love this country more than they love the country that we're supposed to be headed to. That doesn't mean that we don't fight for rights. That doesn't mean that we don't stand up for justice and we don't do things, but we cannot allow it to exalt it higher than God himself, than our destination in heaven. Verse 14 says that for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And it makes sense. I'm not from here. Then you're looking for where you're from. For us, that is heaven. Verse 15, and truly, if they had called to mind. If you write in your Bible, underline, underline that. If they had called to mind. That country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. That is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There's something about death that causes many to become fearful or anxious. You just start talking about death. As a matter of fact, start talking about your own death and see how many people don't begin to squirm. And they, they, they try to go around it, uh, asking the individual, do you have a will? I don't want to talk about that. Why? Because there is a fear of death. There is an anxiety of death. And when it comes to death, the greatest symbol of this event is what? A skull. You see a skull, you see death. More important, uh, what it represents. More importantly than the symbol. What, what does it represent? What takes place there in that skull? This is the mindful place. Okay, the mindful place. It says in verse 15 of Hebrews 11 that if they had been mindful, 
It means to keep in mind, to hold a memory, to, to grab onto it and not want to let go. Then it would have been very possible for what? To them to return back to it. What is, what is he talking about? The world. The worldly mindset. It would have been happy. A lot of people do that constantly. It would have been an opportunity for them to return. To bend or to bow their knee to where they came from before. Now, the person who's been regenerated in the Lord, who's been reborn again, knows that if I return, surely death awaits me. Eternal death. And that's what causes you to not even consider it. You remember what the Bible calls the righteous man Lot. And it's like, how was he righteous? Because he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. He chose to go that way. But the Lord still spared him because he saw something inside of him that was still righteous. But when the angels took him out of Sodom and Gomorrah, said, don't look back. This is the same thing. Don't recall it in your mind. Don't, don't, don't consider it. Well, she did. She turned back. And she turned into what? Pillar of salt. Not a pillar of sugar. Not a pillar of diamonds, but a pillar of salt. Now, these things are literal in the Bible, but they also have meaning and symbolism. Because when a person is rescued from the world or from certain strongholds, and they turn around and look, what happens to that individual? They're seeking deliverance from God. They're seeking for God to pull them away. But I'm still looking back. And what does it cause? You may, have know, you may know people like this. It causes them to become bitter individuals. Because that's what a pillar of salt is. It's a bunch of bitterness. They're ugly. They're angry. I'm not talking about physically ugly. I'm talking about inside. They're ugly. They're angry. They're, they're unhappy. They are bitter. Why? Because they're looking back to where their heart really desires to go back there. But they would also love to have this over there. What the Bible talks about here is this opportunity they would have had to return back. It's the Greek word kairos. A lot of us may know that word. You know, there's a ministry, a prison ministry named Kairos. It's an opportunity. It's an occasion. It's a season. It's only a period of time. It's not eternal. It is only a season. But they couldn't accept that small opportunity, that, that thing that was only temporal. Why? Because they had already been made eternal. Eternal cannot accept temporary. Temporary cannot accept eternity. It has to be one or the other. But the worst part of this that just really just kind of causes your eyebrows to raise up is it says that because of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God. So then it makes you ask the question, God, have I ever caused you to be ashamed that I call you my God? I mean, these little things that are hidden in Scripture, and it's like, uh, what, what have I done today? This is where the self-examination comes in. What have I done today? What have I said? What, how have I been leading my life? Is it causing you to become ashamed? Parents, we know. We, uh, we've been knuckleheads. Maybe we have some of our older kids that have done things or they're doing things that, okay, we love our kids. We're not going to turn our backs on them and disown them. Most of us aren't, right? Anyways. But you know what? As parents, sometimes we can become shameful. Okay, I'll speak for myself. I've been shamed by the things that my children have done. And I don't think I'm the only one. How much more so the God of the universe who holds higher convictions, who is a holy God and a, and a righteous God and an undefiled God that we would call ourselves sons and daughters, but yet, is he ashamed or is he not ashamed? In verse 16 of John chapter 19, we see that the Lord was delivered. He was taken away and he was led. And you see that this is opposite than the person who comes to Christ. Because when we come to Christ, uh, we receive him. 
We don't give Him over. We receive Him. We give of ourselves and He leads us. And where was He led to? It says that He was led to the place of the skull. In Hebrew called Golgotha. The place of the skull. This is the mindful place. Everything in Scripture is there for a reason. I mean, is it just a coincidence that Oh, they took him to a place called the skull. As a matter of fact, if you go to Israel and you look at this mount, it looks exactly like what it's called after, like a skull. Looks like this thing right here. I mean, there is some individuals that think it is coincidence. These are the same individuals who embrace the Big Bang and just say, well, you just appeared, you were evolved from there. Yeah, but who made your brain function the way that it functions? It just, it just happened. So then why are some people more intelligent than others? Wouldn't you think we would all evolve to the same point when it comes to our intelligence? So he went to the place of the skull. The Greek word is actually where we get our word for cranium, the skull. The skull. Again, it's the mindful place because what is in the skull? This is where the mind reside and the thoughts occupy. Now we're putting flesh on this skull. There's a thing in there called a brain. And that brain that we don't really pay much attention to, we don't give it much attention, but it's that brain that causes our being to do and act the way that we are. Now, of course, above all that, the Spirit of God, the life of breath that, that's within us, but the choice that God gives us is uh, this mind. This is where you could say it is a place of opportunity. The mind, the brain. It's a place of occasion. See, he was taken to the place of the skull, and the word means it's a place of opportunity. It's a place for acting out. It's not just a location. It's an opportunity. Jesus had the opportunity to die on that cross, to become the Savior of all of those who run to Him in faith and embrace Him. Now, we have the opportunity here in the place of our mind to glorify God. So if you think about the fact that where was the battle won? Where did Jesus won the, win the battle? It was on Calvary. It was on Golgotha. It was in the place of the skull. What happened there? He died on the cross. Now you have to think about this because if Jesus never died, then he would never be able to be resurrected. So he died there. That made it uh, uh, able for him to be resurrected and if he never died then he never shed his blood and if he didn't shed his blood then we are still lost we're still dead in our trespasses so if the Lord fought his greatest battle in the place of the skull wouldn't it seem proper that that's where we fight our greatest battle right here in the place of the skull in this mind. Have you ever heard that baseball. I don't know if there's many of you who watch baseball or even like it. But heard the phrase that baseball is 80% a mental sport. And 20% physical. A lot of people are surprised to hear that about baseball. You would think that it is all physical. But it's 80% mental. 20% physical. Christianity is similar to that. The majority of our walk is all mental. This is why now you can go back and, and see the so many scriptures talking about the mindset, talking about the mind from the very beginning, not just the New Testament. This is why you can understand now A.W. Tozer that said the most important thing that a Christian can do is to what? Think rightly about God. Thinking, Philippians 4, 8, uh, being mindful, whatever things are noble, pure, uh, joy-worthy of praise report, meditate on those things. Think about those things. The thinking, the book of Philippians, all of it is about thinking. Because this is the mindful place. Once again, it's a place for opportunity and it's not short-lived, right? It's a continual thinking process. 
Now, I'm not trying to say that it's not physical, what we operate in. And above it, it's spiritual. Yes, we know that it's spiritual. But the thought process, whatever we think, affects everything else in our life. And I'm not just talking about the power of positive thinking. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about first with our mind set on Christ, having the mind of Christ, putting on the mind, girding the loins of our mind. The mind is the driving force of repentance and the engine of faith. That is repentance. Because some people don't realize that repentance, they think it's just stopping your sin and turning away. But how are you going to stop your sin if you haven't changed your mind about your sin? So it starts in the mind and you start to think differently about sin. And sin isn't just the mortal sins that we think about, adultery and, and smoking and drinking and doping. It's not just all of that. Matter of fact, the Bible says that anything that's not of faith is sin. Now that broadens the category a lot more. But the mind, this mind, the place of the skull where we fight the greatest battle, it's the, force, the driving force of repentance, the engine of faith. Now this is why it is vital, it is important that we're careful with what goes into the mind, the things that we watch, the things that we listen to, the things that we entertain. And this is where a lot of uh, believers will put it on pause. I, I don't want to hear that. Fast forward it because I don't want to hear about my horror movies or I don't want to uh, uh, hear about uh, maybe the, the uh, soft porn type movies that we watch. I don't want to be convicted about that. I'm okay with that. I don't want to be told about the excessive amount of TV that I watch or the music that I listen to. But everything that comes into our brains, into our minds, it begins to affect us. It begins to lead us in different directions. Thinking is extremely important. I've constantly talked about the thought process, thinking, pondering, meditating. This is why you have ministries that are named, Let My People Think. Instead of Let My People Go, Let My People Think. Because thinking is believing. Thinking, pondering about things. This is why it's important to not just go through things that I'm going to forget, like that door lock, and I'm going to have to come back again. But this is saying I'm going to deposit it in my soul. And as a matter of fact, uh, the psalmist said, Your word I have hidden in my heart. Why? that I may not sin against you. Because it keeps me in line and it leads us. Our thoughts, they manifest the glory of God or the lack and denial thereof. One of the two. They're going to glorify God or they're going to demonstrate our lack or denial thereof. Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, again coming from one of the wisest men in the world. He is uh, giving in verses 1 through 6. He's giving warnings to the man. And he's telling them, consider, have self-control, don't desire. Don't desire what's evil, don't desire what's wrong. Don't set your heart and your mind on those things which are not, the lies. Don't chase after them. Don't covet uh, that which is craving to the outer man. How many of us in here like money? No? Just one? I like money. But that money, that like for money, has no mercy upon the soul of a believer. And that's why we have to know what is healthy and what is not healthy. And here Solomon is saying, don't covet that which is craving to the outer man because we like a lot of things. And God gives us certain things, but it's when they become an excess that we begin to covet that it becomes evil. And he says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So as, as, a, as a person, an individual begins to think, they begin to ponder, that's what they set their mind on, guess what? That's who that person is. 
If you can view any individual and see what they like, you know that that's what they're ingesting in. It's just a uh, uh, common sense that we can we can uh, discern that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a as an individual, a man or a woman, ponder as you as you reconcile in your mind and you're considering that's who you are. The person who fears God and loves God, that's who they are. They're God-fearing, loving individuals. The person who thinks lightly about God, who thinks less about God, they're not God-fearing. They ingest and then they manifest only what they like. As a matter of fact, the, the word for think, it's the only time that it's used, the Hebrew word. It's only used this once. And this word means to be a gatekeeper. What does a gatekeeper do? Well, exactly what it says. He only, he's only going to allow what he says and what he doesn't. He's not. So this individual is not being a very good gatekeeper. They're allowing anything and everything. Because a woman is beautiful, because a, a man is good looking, I'm going to let you in the gate and I'm going to let you manipulate me up here. Because a, a job or, or a career is offering so much more, I'm going to let you in the gate and I'm going to allow you to manipulate my life. Rather than recognizing the threat that could be at hand and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm going to go to God first. And he is uh, the door. He is this greater shepherd that will uh, uh, cause me or allow me as to what I should let in or not. So we got to keep control of our thought pattern. How many of us have? I know all of us, every single one of us, maybe with the exception of the younger children, but in today's day and age, you'd be surprised with the thoughts that some of these younger children have. And it should cause us to be grieved. Romans chapter 12. It says in verse 1, Paul, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By this time, many don't even hit the pause button no more. Let me just turn this program off. I'm tuning you out because I don't want to hear about sacrifice. I don't want to hear about holy. I don't want to hear about uh, acceptable. I don't want to hear about the will of God because it goes contrary to uh, our, our, our carnal man, our outer man. We don't like that. But Paul is saying, stand by the Lord. Stand by the Lord so much so that it's going to cause other people to question. They're going to question. How is that individual so patient with other people? How do they just believe and trust so much so that I can't even do it? How are they doing it? It causes them to question when we stand by the Lord. And we present our body as what? A living sacrifice. Again, the body is going to do in most cases what the mind tells it. Have you ever realized or understood that a person who's unconscious, they don't sin? Have you ever thought about that? What's the difference between a person who's unconscious and a person who's conscious? The mind's not working. Therefore, if we're conscious, which obviously we all are, we all operate in sin. So we present our body and the mind does, or the body does what the mind tells it, to what? Paul says, so that we don't bend to the world, so that we don't bow a knee to our own thoughts and character, to our own desires. The desires of man, they're pretty vicious. Turn on the TV and you'll see the desires of, of, of men, the desires of, of women. 
Now it's not just men, but it's also women to the desires of children now even. He says, but instead be ye transformed. It means to be formed to another. How? By the renewing of your mind. To the image and the glory of Jesus Christ. In this mindful place. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Even though we conduct our lives uh, according to this fleshly outer manner, we don't war. That's not how we uh, fight our battles, according to the flesh. You ever seen those individuals that get so mad at the devil and they want to just cuss them out? You want to throw a vase across the room and break it and, and they think that somehow, see, they're, they're fighting their battle physically, but we don't, we don't fight it physically. But he says that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they are what? They're mighty in God. How many of you understand that, that your weapons as a Christian, they are mighty in God. They are powerful. They are great in God for what? For the pulling down of strongholds, for the destruction, for the annihilation. This is the power that a Christian has over the gates of hell. No, not today. You don't have to yell at him, but your weapons are mighty in God for the pulling down of those strongholds. Now tell me, where do those strongholds reside? In the place of the mind. The strongholds of unforgiveness, the, the strongholds of so many other different things. And it says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now you can say so many different things, so many different things that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. Yeah, football season is coming Put football in there. Yes, baseball season is ending. Put baseball up there. Yes, vehicles and money and so many other things that are exalted above the knowledge of God. And we have to bring every one of those thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ again. And I'll say it always. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy those things. No. But it's when you exalt them. See, we operate a little bit more foolishly sometimes than Satan. But have you ever wondered why out of any single day, Saturday being the best day of leisure, why uh, they would have to make football on Sunday mornings? Because the gates of hell are wise. You know why? Because if I can keep a man, especially a man of God, out of church, then the rest of the family will destroy itself. I don't even have to do anything else. We have to take those thoughts captive. And it says that when, when we do that, we punish all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. For far too long, many have thought too little or too less of Jesus Christ. That's the truth, and I'll say it all week long. For far too long, many have thought too little or too less of Jesus Christ. And verse 17 tells us that he bore his cross. As a matter of fact, it's in a present tense. It's saying that him bearing his cross, he took up that which is burdensome. That cross that was burdensome, it was heavy, it was brutal. And he did it in order to put it upon himself. Okay, understand that this morning. Every sin, every transgression, Every iniquity, all of the guilt, all of the shame of sinners, He took it upon Himself. He put it on that rugged cross, that heavy cross, that burdensome cross. He made the mindful choice to say, I'm going to take it upon Myself and I'll bear the wrath of God. And He willfully went where? To the place of the skull. I mean, have you thought about that? God could have done it totally different. God could have ordained everything totally different. 
But it never would have given glory to the true fact of what Jesus did. Regardless of the humility, regardless of the shame that He endured. Because most of us men in this room, uh, nobody's going to spit in my face because they're going to be dropped on the floor. Because we're not going to take that humility. But He took the humility of all of our foolishness. Why? He did it so that we could obtain salvation. He did it because that's the love of God. That is the mercy of God. But yet there's still many that continue with the Roman soldiers to spit on His face. Now, on the other hand, I would ask today, what are we carrying today? What are we carrying? What are you carrying today? Are you still carrying guilt? Are you still carrying shame? Because if you're in Christ, you shouldn't. Are you still embracing that sin? Because if you're in Christ, you shouldn't. Because He took all of that for us. Matthew chapter 16 Verses 24 and 25, and Jesus speaking to the disciples. Remember, uh, he just told Peter, I'm fixing to be taken captive, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise up again. And Peter said, not so, Lord, that's not going to happen. And he told him what? Oh, Peter, you're, you're crazy. You're always trying to talk me out of things. No, he said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you're what? Mindful of the things according to man. You're not mindful of the things of God. So he said to him, if anybody, any single one, you, me, her, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It means now you've become less. Now your interest has become less. And now it's God. Our cross should not be burdensome because of guilt, shame, or sin. But our cross is going to be brutal because of the struggle to conquer the carnal and sin nature. That's why our cross is brutal. Because we want to do the things that, that uh, our, our spirit doesn't want to do. And we tend to do the things that our flesh would want to do. Regardless, we are to bear it. We got to embrace our cross. We have to carry it. If we have to, we drag it. We pull it. But nevertheless, we take a hold of it. And we take it where? The same way our Lord did. We take it to that mindful place. The mind. I'm bearing this burden that I have. Whatever it is that I'm struggling with, I'm bearing it and I'm taking it where? To my thoughts. And I'm going to ponder it and I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to think rightly about God. And I'm going to think in a manner that when it manifests, it's going to show who I am in the Lord. This is where many believers lose their battle. But few in Christ are going to be victorious. That's true. That's the truth. Jesus said many are going to perish, only few are going to be saved. The odds, in a sense, are against us. That's why we extremely, utterly, desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Him, we are going to be victorious. And the Bible tells us, you, me, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And verse 18 says that he was crucified with two others. And Jesus in the center. Now keep in mind, this was a mindful place for the Lord. If you haven't ever thought about it, think of everything that was racing through his mind. The Bible already told us that he, was, he, he became a man like us so that he could relate. Think of everything that went through his mind. Psalm chapter 22 would demonstrate a little bit. A little bit of what was going through his mind in Psalm chapter 22, verse 11. This is, of course, uh, the, the, the psalmist talking, but it is prophetic about the Lord. He says, be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths. 
like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. I'm all over the place. I can't get a hold of myself. I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to think. I mean, I'm in pain from head to toe. I can feel every joint because every joint is in pain. My mind is just racing. I'm considering so many things. I'm poured out like water. I can't be contained. I can't contain myself. Now, this is the God of the universe. This is the one who died for us. This is the one that we claim to have allegiance with. And if it does, then then it, it has to do something inside of us. He says, my strength is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue clings to my jaws. God, I can't even talk right now. I can't even pray to you. Have you been there? I have. I don't know what to say, God. I can't even pray no more. But that's when the Bible says that the spirit intercedes with groanings that cannot be uttered. He says, you, God, have brought me to the dust of the earth at the foot at that cross. It says, dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This is him on the cross. Pierced my hands and my feet. I'm I'm, I'm here. I'm undone. But yet, this was a mindful decision that he made. Now, we make a decision to follow God. Yeah, it's not going to be easy, right? But it's a decision that we made and we stick to it. It says that there was two others that were crucified beside him. These were evil men. These were robbers. These were thieves. And it says that the whole congregation, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Jews, the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, they were wagging their heads. They were mocking him. They were making sport of him, making less of him. Imagine him being on a cross. I'm dying for a purpose. I'm trying to do something right. And here I am. And he looks down in pain, undone, his mind racing everywhere. And everyone is just mocking him, laughing, making less of him. They're wagging their heads. And they tell him, if you're the son of God, get yourself down off of that cross. Save yourself and save us while you're at it. And a matter of fact, one of the thieves told him, same thing, if you're God, get down off of that cross and save me. Now, I don't know the truth of it, but some individuals who have studied church history or extra biblical writings say that Uh, The one who mocked him was on the left hand. And the one who looked was on the right hand. There's, there's There's no proof of it. But what it would indicate if it's true is the individual who's on the right side of God, on the right hand of God, that's where his power is at. I'm on the right side of God. I'm not on the wrong side. Because the one who was on the left side was on the wrong side and he was mocking and he was saying, if you are the son of God, come down off of that cross. And what you see here, there's pictures all throughout the Bible. You have to see the picture here. Jesus in the center. There's two individuals there crucified. Two people that are guilty. They're going to die regardless. Just like we're all guilty. But one of them was still blaspheming him. And he was saying, yeah, I'm I'm here with you. I'm right next to you. But he was on the wrong side. Like many believers who say, yes, I'm in Christ, but they're on the wrong side. They're not really following God. And in a sense, the way they live their life, they say, God, if you're God, you're going to save me in whatever process that I need. And they end up mocking him wrongly and erroneously. They're mocking God. If you're God, if you have the power. No, no, no. There's not if you have the power. God has the power. Do we have the trust? But this individual says, if you're God, get off. But the other individual said, what's the matter with you? He's innocent. We're guilty. We deserve this. He doesn't deserve it. 
That's the believer in Christ. That's the individual who is on the right side of God. I, I, I deserve it. I should have been the one dying. They should have nailed me to that cross. I should have shed blood, though it wouldn't have saved nobody, not even myself. But I'm the one guilty of it. And when you understand that, then you say, yes, I, I have to honor this God. Not because that's what's going to save me, but because he saved me, this is the least that I could do for him. I don't want him to be ashamed that I'm calling myself a son or daughter of God. But how can that happen when there's so much resistance? There's so much resistance because now uh, the word of God is uh, as common as pres prescription drugs are given out to individuals now. Just handing out prescriptions. You feeling depressed today? There's a scripture. Oh, your finances are down? There's a scripture. Call me in the morning. And they've, it's been toned down. Now, what side are we on of the Lord? But regardless, it says that Jesus was in the center. It says that he was in the midst. He was in the middle of it all. So I would say that in that cross, if it's driven through the stake of our heart, then Jesus is going to be in the center of this mindful place right here. The mindful place where we consider our thoughts every day, things that come against us. And it's going to happen in a minute when you leave. Watch, whenever you go eat, whenever you get on the road, uh, somebody's going to, right here, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'm not, I'm not telling you the old phrase, what would Jesus do? Yes, it's a good notion, but the, the mind of Christ. But how do you know the mind of Christ if we don't know the word of God? So I would say that we must be vigilant in the mindful place with Jesus in the center. We have to be vigilant. We have to be persistent. We have to endure with Jesus in the center because the opportunity of a lifetime is right before our eyes. And not before on this side in front of us, but it's before our eyes back here. In the mind, the opportunity of a lifetime. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to follow him? Or am I going to follow my own ways? Am I going to be on the left side of the cross mocking him to come down and save me because I still have guilt and I still have shame? Or am I going to be on the right side and say, Jesus, thank you for taking all of my shame and my guilt on that cross, Lord. Thank you for raising me up from the dead. That's the critical question that we ask ourselves uh, this morning and tomorrow and thereafter and thereafter. This self-examination. Why is it important? Because every single one of us is prone to being this calloused individual. Every single one of us can fall in that nook and in that cranny of it. It just doesn't affect me anymore. As a matter of fact, the disciples, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. They all said, Lord, is it me? Is it me, God? So this morning it would be healthy to say, is it, is it me, God? Is it me that's calloused? Is it me that's on the wrong side? Is it me that, that is making less of you and more of everything else? Or is it me that's on the right side? It's a good evaluation. It is important and our eternal life depends on it. Not to mention the glory of God. The glory of God is at stake. If we do that, we can never do wrong, but this is only going to happen in the mindful place with our thought process, thinking rightly about God. Let's pray. Father, if we are left to ourselves, we will always end up in destruction and chaos. We'll always make the wrong decisions, God. We will always lean to those things that are more beneficial to us rather than beneficial to you. God, we see the picture. Two men hanging on a cross. You're in the center. One of them is far left. One of them is far right. God, may, be that, may we be that one who is on the right side, firmly gripped in your hand where you said Jesus no one will pluck them out but how will we know God if we don't examine ourselves far be it from us God to ever become callous 
God, bring us to the point of admission that we could say, yes, this country has made uh, uh, way much less of the word of God and of the person of Jesus Christ. May we be so bold to pray to you and ask you to bring upon extreme and great convictions upon our souls, Lord, that we would think more highly of you, that we would do more uh, to be pleasing to you, God, that you would not be ashamed to look at, down upon us and call us sons or daughters of God. Be our lead, God. Be our guide. You said, Lord, that those who walk in the light will no longer walk in darkness. God, come be the light inside of us, Father. Let that light expose whatever darkness may be residing, not just in our hearts, but in our minds, that we may do something about it. May we think more highly of repentance, God. And if we're not truly willing to do that, then God... Cause us to just turn around and walk away. Rather than to look back, Lord, just let us walk back to where we came from. We don't want to look back. Because your word says that the person who does that is not even fit for your kingdom. God, forgive us for everything that we have allowed. And may we become more vigilant. Yes, in our mind, but also for the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.